today we have a very special day. This is a baby dedication. We're going to call this message Generation of Miracles. So it is uh, March 15th, uh, 2015. Generation of Miracles is the message today. And I want to start with you in 1 Chronicles 16 in verse 1. Say there when you are there. So in Chronicles 16.1, it says, They brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. Moving on from the tabernacle of Moses and into the tabernacle of David, a transitional period in Israel's history, they put the ark of God on men's shoulders and carried it into a portable dwelling place. This was very much symbolic of what is happening now. His spirit is poured out upon all flesh. The ark of God is coming into the houses, the bodies of those who have been made right with God. And as that happens, we become a temple for God's spirit. The New Testament is written with the presumption that every Christian is a temple for God's spirit, that every Christian is moving in the power of the Holy Ghost. If you slide your finger down to verse 7, I want to show you a psalm that is in Chronicles. So the psalm number is 105, if you want to read it in the Psalms, but it shows up in the uh, book of Chronicles, starting in verse 7. That day, David first committed to Asaph and his associates this psalm of thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. A goal in this body of believers, a goal in the body of Christ, is to make known outside these walls the things he has done inside these walls. This congregation is not a bless me group. It's not here simply so that we are happy about our lives or are growing. This congregation is here to make him known out there. David committed this psalm to Asaph and it showed up as Psalm 105. Listen to what he goes on to say. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. When you see us get a little giddy, and it's really awkward for those of us that can't dance, right? I'm not saying we don't try, I'm saying we don't succeed. Uh, We're glorying in his name. Uh, We are acting like children who are simply happy to be in the presence of their father. And what we're trying to do also is gather around enough brothers, well, like Curtis and Nolan and maybe Nick, who make us look graceful. That's the point. (laughs) Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face. How often? Do you want to seek his face this morning? Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. Church, this morning we have a chance to remember miracles among us. You know, we're going to move forward through a few slides here. If you can take us to the first slide or two. Uh, And I want to show you a couple living, breathing, moving miracles. Hallelujah. 
<clears throat> Amen. <laughs> so while we're waiting for that slide to come up, I want to tell you about a little girl named Riley. How about that? We were sitting in an emergency room because we got a phone call that there was an underlying heart condition that nobody had noticed, that a baby was turning blue and might not survive the night. And she's still sitting here today. Yeah, you can clap. This beautiful little girl is a testimony to the fact that the King of Kings still heals today. You know, he said, well, I have never seen a miracle. Well, you get a chance. I don't know if Caitlin will let you hold her, but she'll let you look at her. (laughs) You may not get to hold the miracle today, but you can certainly see one. How about this next one? This is Anna Jael. When Sam was pregnant with Anna, her placenta was uh, 75% attached, 25% detached. Those don't repair. Uh, The positioning was not good. And a fairly newly spirit-filled couple, I mean, in the last few years, looked right at the medical community and smiled. And when it was thought that perhaps they just don't understand the gravity of the situation, they said, we just understand the size of our God. And when they came back for the next checkup, uh, what could not be healed was healed. And when the baby was born... When A.J. was born and she had an infection of some kind that showed up in splotchy skin, showed up in those things, uh, everybody needed to panic. I mean, this could be so many horrible things. And again, the parents joined hands and said, I just don't think you understand how big our God is. And we all watched with our own eyes as those patches fell off of the child. Yeah? Don't tell me miracles don't happen today. You know... It is true. We should go ahead and concede it. The gifts of the Spirit and the miracles that accompany them, they have ceased in some circles because they believe they have ceased. Uh, If you hunger for them, if you go after them, you know what? You will see them. You'll find them because where Jesus Christ manifests, He does the same work yesterday, today, and forever. Where His Spirit is, we find the same workings of His ministry that have always been there. And where He is not welcomed, just like He was not in His own town, Nazareth, then there are very few miracles that happen there. How about this next one? Oh, my goodness. Is that not the best-looking little man you've ever seen? I, I know this one's uh, grandfather, and uh, they, they have some of the same handsome looks, right? Uh, But I have to say, he probably most resembles his two beautiful parents. This is Levi. Isn't he cute? Levi and I have something in common. We we were both born almost three months early. Uh, I was under two pounds. Susan, what was Levi when he was born? Three pounds, three ounces. And we're both well on our way to corpulence. (laughs) Yeah, is that amazing? Look, I was there the night that, uh, that they're talking about, do we fly them in a helicopter to the hospital? What, what, what do we do? Surely we must panic. But there are godly people that 
moved in prayer everywhere. And this is a healthy young man who's going to do great things for God. Amen? Rick, he doesn't look like a preemie anymore, does he? Yeah, I'm living proof. Sometimes they grow a lot. Could be 70, 80 pounds in a year. You never know. Oh, man. We have the Clements sitting in the back. This little baby, Eliana. I can't tell you the odds that Eliana has overcome in her life. The medical community was pretty sure that there was no reason to even move forward in pregnancy. You know, the kind of pressure they put on the parents was incredible, almost like it's cruel to give God a chance. But the parents were uh, firmly persuaded that the living God was able to perform what he had promised. And so she wasn't supposed to make it into her second trimester. And then she wasn't going to make it in her third. And I watched these parents make a list of everything they said would be wrong with her. She would have no nose. She would have tumors outside of her skull. She would have uh, no working hands, no working feet. The list was extensive. It was overwhelming. I mean, can you imagine... Anybody, how, how many of you in here have been pregnant? And if you're a guy and you raise your hand, I'm going to laugh out loud at you. How many of you have been pregnant? You go through weird stages anyway. I mean, you have what we call pizza dreams, you know. I don't know what caused that, but don't eat it again. And, uh, and it's difficult to manage fear. But their faith rose to meet those challenges. And they assigned scriptures to every problem that the medical community said the baby had. And you know what? She not only went full term, when we got to the hospital and they said she wouldn't survive the delivery, she did. And then when they said she probably wouldn't make it through the week, she did. And that week has turned into months now. Mario, how old is Eliana now? Five months. That's, that's pretty darn good for a baby that wasn't supposed to be born. Now... Lest you think that we're just some kind of strange, we are strange, but some kind of strange hyper-faith people, I want you to understand, we haven't seen all the miracles that we want to see. We're just intent that they can be had if we will seek the giver of the miracles. And so we're pressing into Jesus until every molecule, every little cell in Eliana's body is completely free of... Trisomy 18. And the word that we received is that we would see a healing but we would have to beat our arrows against the ground, a story out of Kings, and we would have to continue to labor in that. And you know what? These parents have had many sleepless nights since then praying, and that baby is still alive. Somebody give glory to Jesus. Now, in this church, we don't have favorites, except John and Joy have always been my favorite. And um, when I met John, he, he, uh, he was at a crawfish boil, and that bonded our hearts immediately, except he was a little bit inebriated. And I know you guys have been righteous all of your lives, but John and I, we were born sinners. And, um, and while I was sharing my testimony with John, he rolled his eyes and turned and walked away. And Joy uh, listened. She had grown up Buddhist, and she was intrigued about the glories of God. 
Well, Joy uh, drugged John to church and wasn't long and John fell in love with Jesus. Today there are youth pastors. And from the early days, we knew that they would be good parents. We knew they were called to be parents. The problem is with a whole lot of effort, there was very little fruit. We were not yet seeing a baby. They lived with us during those days, and uh, we often prayed together. We got to see each other. And, you know, you go through a lot of ups and downs when you're trying to conceive a child, and you don't know why, but you can't. If you're in here today and you're concerned that you're barren, I want you to know there's almost never been a godly woman that did not struggle with such things. And yet, they get their children. It took six years of prayer, but they became pregnant with that little promise of God, Sarah, faith back there. And I want to encourage you that there are so many things that we simply cannot do on our own, and yet, with a little bit of trust in the Lord and a whole lot of His grace upon our lives, everything becomes possible for Him who believes. They hold in their arms a miracle, a miracle that the whole church got to celebrate and watch in. You know what was not pleasant? Each month when she was not pregnant, it hurt a little bit to everybody. You know what else was not ple- pleasant? Every time somebody prophesied, you'll have a child, right? That's encouraging. It's encouraging, except the child wasn't here, so it felt a little torturing until the moment that she was pregnant. I want to tell you, if you've been waiting on the promise of God for some time, it may feel so far off till the moment that it happens, and then it's altogether wonderful, isn't it? Lest you think it's just babies who get healed in our church, sitting next to Stephen Richards is that dynamite knockout over there, Darnell. She'd been given a death sentence more times than I can count, but she's in here praising and worshiping today. Somebody say hallelujah. While we talk about dedicating babies, I want you to get the concept. I I hope that I can properly frame it for you, that it's our responsibility to raise up a generation of the righteous. That's our responsibility. It can't fall to someone else. It has come to us. And if we don't do it, the world suffers because of it. In Proverbs 20, 25, it says, It is a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider his vows. Most people approach marriage this way. Most people approach having children this way. It's like they get married and sometime after the honeymoon, they uh, come into conflict with the things that they just promised God. In fact, most of the time, people can't tell you what they even vowed before God. The Scripture warns us against making vows that we've not properly considered. And there's a reason for that. Our God holds you responsible for what you've promised Him. You you need to think about that. We hold Him responsible for what He's promised us. We expect that His character is good, that He's righteous, that everything that He wrote in this book is true, and we long for it and we wait to see it, and we stand fast in the character of God. But He, in turn, holds you responsible for the promises that you've made Him. It's a trap for us 
to dedicate a child and have no intention to follow through. With these five, oh, we're going to see five smooth stones that knock down giants. We're going to watch Goliath fall. The complete Jewish Bible says that very same passage like this. It is a snare to dedicate a gift to God. Somebody say gift to God. God. Rashly and reflect on the vows only afterward. These babies are a gift from God and they are a gift to God. He put them in our hands and it's our job then just like Hannah to put them back in his hands. What you hear very often is, you know, I don't know what's wrong with my kids. I raised them right. Well, perhaps you don't know what raising right is. It's more than throwing them on a church bus. It's more than letting them eat donuts on Sunday. Raise them right. If by that you mean you impress the word upon them, walking along the road, laying down at night, rising up in the morning, when they went in and out of their house, you saw them baptized in the Holy Ghost in a spiritually rich environment. You prayed with them. You encouraged them after the things that God had destined for their lives more than what the world had destined for their lives. Well, that might be doing it right. You see that so rarely, though. In this church, we have a serious commitment to doing this right. We don't so much dream that our children become doctors and lawyers as we dream that they become hell-shaking warriors that would charge the gates of hell with a squirt gun just to get into the battle. Yeah? They may become doctors and lawyers. I know we have some that have their hearts set on that, and that's a good thing. But our designs are on the kingdom first. Amen? Amen? I heard that if you seek first the kingdom... The other things you needed will be added. Luke 14, 28 says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying this fellow began to build but was not able to finish. A lot of people have started out with good intentions, but when it became difficult, apathy took over. Slothfulness took over. You know, we may not be able to do anything about what happened 20 years ago, but we as a congregation can absolutely stand together about what must happen today. Amen? I'd like to talk to you about the benefits of doing this right. Psalm 102, verse 28. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Come on, say that. Live in your presence. Not live on a pew, not live under a steeple, not live by stained glass. They will live in the presence of God. So well, I brung them to church. That's how we said it in Louisiana. I brung them to church. Yeah, I get that. And when is the last time anything in that church happened other than the offering plate passed around? Because in the church of the living God, the signs that follow Jesus are following the church. Say, so, well, I, I raised them in Sunday school. Well, God didn't call you to commit your children to somebody else to teach. They're going to imitate what they see you do in your life. Did you show them that you live in the presence of God? Oh, hear me, parents. It is our job to live in the presence of God. That's our job. Jesus Christ tore open a veil. He tore open the curtain that is his body that makes a way for you to get into God's presence. 
to live outside of that, to live short of that. Well, it's an insult to the cross of Jesus Christ while we're wearing it around our neck, his jewelry. My heart's desire is that these children that have already experienced miracles in the presence of God would learn to live in the presence of God as they watch their parents. Is that your desire? Oh, come on now. That was weak. Listen, if you were thrown outside of the presence of God and there was a cherub there with a flaming sword flashing back and forth, how scary would that be? And now you had a chance to go back in. Would would that receive a, "Mm, yes. We're we're not voting on the latest toll road, friends. Do you want to live in the presence of God? They won't do it if you don't do it. How about that one? Uh, Let's go ahead and rob another Louisiana expression. How about them apples? (laughs) The serious truth is that our children are a reflection of us. Our children are the best and worst of us. And they do. (laughs) My favorite, uh, we were in church some years ago, and a little girl came running into service. Door flew open, and she said, I not see! And then a profanity. Her mom says, you know, I I don't know where she heard that. (laughs) I do. I know exactly where she heard it. (laughs) It's uncomfortable the extent to which our children reflect us. It hurts sometimes. And yet, if we're in daily interaction with God's presence, what happens is we have a little mirror right in front of us. And the things that we see them do that are like the king... We can be excited about that's our progress report. The things that we see them do that are nothing like the king, well, now we know where we need to improve. Oh, somebody say amen in the house of God. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. Our king has a vested interest in making sure righteousness endures on the earth. He's building his kingdom here. And one very practical way that happens is one little life at a time. Psalm 112, verses 1 through 2. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. Do you want mighty children or wimpy children? You know, we take prenatal vitamins. When, when, When they're born, we might feed them organic food these days. There are so many things we do to make sure they're healthy. And the very best thing that you can do is raise them in the presence of God. And the Bible declares they will be mighty in the land. You raise them in church, but outside the presence of God, and you will find them spiritually wimpy in the land. They will hide behind false doctrines. They will say that they love Jesus while their very actions deny Jesus. And they will have learned it from you. But when you are baptized in his presence, when you're alive with his fire, your children will take to that like an olive tree in its native soil. Do you know how I know that? As messed up as this pastor is, with five children now, we didn't have to work to see our kids fall in love with Jesus. They just did what we do. The most convicting thing about it is sometimes they were far more righteous than we were. Sometimes they were far more full of faith than we were. Let let your five-year-old little girl or your 10-year-old little boy turn to you, lay hands on you, and pray for you when you're sick and you get healed, and it'll change your opinion of what it means to raise somebody in the presence of God. Our children are supposed to be a crown, guys. They're supposed to be a sign that God's reign is in our lives, and these little ones will. Let's start in the beginning. Let's take Genesis 2, 
starting in verse 18. Can y'all read that? That's very small. Good thing you have a copy of that book in your lap. We're reading from Genesis 2 and verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And all the women said, how would he know what to wear? (laughs) I mean, how would he find his car keys? You know, Uh, I got to tell you, I've been married 22 years now. And if Jennifer goes out of town for more than three days, every fast food restaurant and every delivery service in, uh, in the Houston area knows my address. God himself is the one that pointed out, this cannot be done alone. It's not good. It's not the right way. It's not God's design. God's design is that a man and a woman would produce a godly household. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Can I tell you that not everybody who is of the opposite sex is suitable for each other? Come on now. You know some of those people, right? They married a boat anchor. I mean, they, they married somebody who has no interest in following the Lord, and now they don't know what to do. How good is it that these children were born to couples who are intent after following the Lord? Can you imagine reaching the King of Kings, having him look into your eyes, you look into his, and you be the reason that your family and your children did not accomplish God's will on the earth? How serious of a subject. I know what we're supposed to do. It's baby dedication Sunday. We're supposed to reel in the relatives. Y'all are supposed to come to see the pretty babies and then we're supposed to just like magically wave our hands over the kids and then send them out and say, hey, they've now been dedicated to the Lord, except that is a crock. It has never worked. It is a giant pile of stuff that makes flowers grow but does not make children grow. And do you know why? Because you were given the responsibility, not the pastorate. You were given the responsibility to train them, to dedicate them in the way that they should go. Means a lifelong commitment. That's these parents' desire. Oh, if this wasn't done for you, it's okay. We are a generation-changing bunch here. When the power of the living God hits those who are outcast and despised, Oh, they fall in love with the king of kings. And they're convinced that from that moment forward, it'll never be that way in the family line again. Sometimes they even go backwards and help mom and dad and grandparents get right with God. Oh, the kingdom of God is like yeast working its way through the whole loaf. Look at verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, a no suitable helper was found. God himself had to make a suitable helper for Adam. And when he did, that word helper in Hebrew is ezer. It means the person who helps you accomplish what you cannot do alone. It's not simply a subordinate. An ezer is not a uh, on-the-job assistant. An ezer is somebody who shares in your task and is indispensable. Another word that might help describe it, adjectives that help describe it, an ezer is cherished. And Ezer is essential. I got to tell you, nothing brings that closer to reality in a couple's life than in those first six months of a baby's life. There's not enough sleep to go around for one person, much less two. How frayed can your nerves get? Those moments, 
They say it takes a village to raise a, a child. I don't think that's true, but it definitely takes a godly church and family. It definitely takes that. Praise God for mamas that have come in and helped their daughters with their grandbabies. Praise God for fathers that were tired but did what was right anyway. Praise God for a selfless attitude that demonstrates the nobility of the nature of Christ. Amen? Look at verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. When the modern state of Israel was formed in May 14, 1948, they had a problem. They wanted to use Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, as their language. It had not died out. And the fact that it hadn't died out was a beautiful, amazing, miraculous thing. The language spoken in Jesus' day is the same language that is spoken in Israel today. But they were short some words. Uh, biblical Hebrew has less than 50,000 words. English has got way over half a million words. And what do you do with all of those terms that didn't exist in the Bible days that exist now? Like what would be the word for airplane? I mean, what would be the word for so many things? One of them was the word for superglue. They were trying to figure out what do you call superglue? If we're going to use biblical Hebrew, what can we use to say Superglue. This word for united here, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. That word is debak in Hebrew, and it's what they used for the modern term superglue. If you go to the hardware store in Israel, you buy some debak, and that's what you glue two things together with, and it's the same thing that is pronounced over a husband and wife when they're married. I guess that explains why it hurts so much when they're torn apart, huh? Yeah? Our king wants a godly outcome. He wants children to live in his parents, in his presence. It's going to take parents doing that to demonstrate it. A spirit-filled marriage is a must. Look at that handsome couple. If you don't yet have a beard, it's not too late. You can have one. Except you, Abby. You can't have one. From Genesis, we've learned that a man needs a wife, period. You want to raise children, you need a wife. We also see that man and woman were originally one and that when married, they leave their respective families and become one. How many households have been thrown awry because nobody left their previous households? You know? Mom, my husband wants to do this. What do you think about it? Do your daughter a favor and don't answer that question. You know why? Your children are watching. And the children, they will only respond to a godly order, a godly presence where the Spirit of God is dwelling. A foundational truth that we need to acknowledge from the very beginning is that a husband and wife form a new entity under heaven. There is a purpose for it. That new entity is a completely unified, unbreakable joint mission for God. God wants godly offspring. And He wants it to go from generation to generation. And that is the purpose for marriage. Immediately after the fall in Genesis 3, uh, it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. After all of mankind fell, after 
The human race is completely and utterly without hope. God says this, I will put warfare between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This means that our children is where the warfare shows up. Our children are a sign of how we're doing in the warfare. That's an incredible thing because in this church, our offspring are attacked and yet we win. They're attacked and we prevail. This is not because any of us have any secret vitamin supplements you don't know about. It's because we're tapped into the spirit of the living God and he supplies all of our needs. The roles in this new venture, they're laid out starting in Genesis 3.16. To the woman, God said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. To that, no one ever said thank you. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. I've heard this presented as a curse more times than I can count. I want you to understand that this is the result of a curse, but this is not punishment. This is protection. When he says your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, God made it so that naturally, if the husband is walking in the presence of God, the wife would desire to follow and benefit from that. It is sin that has corrupted that image. God made it so that the natural desire is to follow in a godly situation. And he will rule over you. The woman got into trouble when the man failed to protect her. She saw something she wanted and the man failed. We could throw stones at the woman all day long, but it was the man who received the command. So often, husbands, we can blame our wives for things. I want to assure you, it begins and ends with you. If you are not a godly priest in your home, then nothing in your home will be godly, and it's your fault. Ladies, if you're towing the line and bringing the kids to church, and and you are the spiritual head in your home, praise God that you haven't slipped beneath the waters. But this was not God's design. The faster we can encourage that husband that he can be a man of God, the happier you'll be in the end because you were never made to carry that kind of weight. To the man, it was said this way. Cursed is the ground because of you. That's a Hebrew word and it's, <laughs> it's easy. Brr, like it's cold. Because of you can be translated for your sake. It's a preposition. In other words, cursed is the ground for you. Not, not because of you in the sense that it's cursed because I'm mad at you. It's cursed for you because that would produce something. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you'll return. So how could that be for me? Oh man, if your life is easy, how, how well do you do spiritually? Is it the rich who are rich in faith or the poor who are rich in faith? Is it those who are in trouble who cry out for a Savior? Or is it those who have no troubles in their life that cry out for a Savior? God added adversity to the man's life so that the man would need him and know that he needed him. Because when he was put in a garden where there were no problems of any kind, he made problems for himself. Oh, if we could stop thinking that if we simply had better circumstances, everything would be better. Leo Tolstoy Tolstoy said it this way, everyone dreams of changing the world. No one starts with themselves. The problem's not everybody else. 
The problem was very much us and our sin. And if we're going to raise godly children, it starts with a husband who wants to lead his home, a wife who wants to join in the will of God, and she's essential and she's cherished. And as the presence of God honors the authority in their home, the children grow up under it. They crave it. They long for it. They look for it. And they'll accept nothing less when someone asks for their hands in marriage. By the way, the Stevens and the Araginas are going to experience a wedding July 18th. The fact that they're both handsome or beautiful is, is only uh, a secondary issue. You know what they fell in love with? Jesus inside of each other. They fell in love with each other's character. They recognized that they're two halves of one call of God. They learned that from growing up in environments where nothing less would be tolerated. They thrive like olive shoots in the house of the living God. You can't pour enough adversity upon an olive tree to snuff it out. Oh, church, we don't need less adversity. In this nation, we're going to get more, and it's needed. It wakes up the church. It causes us to rise to our true potential, which means we actually trust God. In very general terms, you can see that the restoration of the man and the woman would come as the husband worked and the wife produced godly offspring. They would have a completely symbiotic relationship. You know, have you ever considered that it was to the man that God said that you multiply and subdue the earth? And it's Genesis 2. Uh, after verse 18, when the woman comes along, how was he? All right, Andrew, you're a single dude here, right? Summon all of the strength of the heavens and produce some children. <laughs> yeah, it's not happening, is it? We're incapable of carrying out the call of God on our lives without the other half of the covenant. That's the way in which we should treat our spouses. And when your children see that, they'll grow up expecting that. Amen? The purpose of this new joint venture. Adam hears the promise that is on their respective roles and he exuberantly declares the woman's name. You know, have you considered that God said, hey, man. He's like, huh? What? No, no, no. You're the man. (laughs) No, really. You're the only man. (laughs) He called Eve woman. She had no name because there was nobody she needed to be distinguished from. And now it's after the fall when we hear that it's through children that the devil's head is going to be crushed, that the head of the enemy would be crushed. Adam gets excited and he names her Eve. Eve means the mother of all of the living. He heard in this supposed curse, and to be sure... Sin caused a curse. But what was spoken to the man and woman was about redemption, not their cursing. This Bible message is a message of restoration and redemption, not cursing. What he heard was hope. He heard hope. I'd like you to consider for a second Islam. Islam is a satanic religion. Allah is the devil. Muhammad is a pedophile prophet. Can you tell how strongly I feel about that? The followers of Islam are demented. It it is very similar to a mental illness, except 
It is satanically inspired. If that offends you, you need to read some. (laughs) Right now, you can watch the news even. And before you come and run at me with, well, that's not all Muslims. I'm fully aware of that. But let's go ahead and get it right out there. Was Muhammad moderate? Or was Muhammad an example of what Islam hopes to be? Because Muhammad was a pedophile. And Muhammad ordered people's heads cut off. So when we're talking about conservative, when we're talking about moderate, when we're talking about those good Muslims, understand that those good Muslims, if they revere Muhammad and want to be like Muhammad, Muhammad did those things. Uh, Anybody got a nine-year-old little girl in here? Because Muhammad would marry her if you let him. That's the kind of thing that he did. In Saudi Arabia, it's taught that if she can support the weight of a man's body, then she's fair game sexually. And right outside of Mosul right now, you can buy a 10-year-old virgin for less than $1,000. Let's contrast that with what God is doing right here, right now in this scripture. In Genesis 3.20, he says, because she would become the mother of all the living. What an honor. The very first one to fall. The first one to reach out and partake of something that God said not to. She, who is the first to fall, is the first to hear that restoration would come through her and only her. Let's talk about equality for a minute. A religion that wraps people like some kind of perverse ninja to hide their face. Wearing pajamas in Walmart last night. Walking around subservient, six feet behind the husband. The child barking at her like she's a dog. Is that equality? Or did the Bible, by the time we reached the third chapter, declare that a savior could only come through a woman, so women are cherished? Did the Bible declare in the second chapter that man was not to be alone? He needed a cherished, essential, suitable helper. Oh, church, we need to wake up. Our children need to learn the truth so that they don't fall for counterfeits. The foremost purpose in marriage is to produce offspring that would crush the enemy's head and bring life. There is a satanic power that predates man. When you open to the book of Genesis, you don't see a day in which darkness was created. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is here before mankind commits a sin. Say the first sin was Adam and Eve. Well, what was the serpent doing then? Think on these things for a minute. We're at war, and we're serving a God who is at war. We were put here to multiply his image on the planet, and the most practical way in which that happens is when people like the Vincents have six kids who love Jesus. Because now, what resides in Brent and Teresa is going to reside in six children who are going to leave that household and build their own families. Oh, church... We've become so selfish. We value BMWs more than we value skull-crushing, demonic trouncers who advance the kingdom of God. You know what I want more than anything? It's not a doctor or a lawyer. I don't want my kids to be professional athletes. I want them to learn what it is to kick in the gates of hell. And they are learning it. And these little ones will too. The primary reason that marriage is under such an immense attack is because the enemy heard this promise. Wait, wait, through the weaker vessel? Through, <laughs> through the girl that I just tricked? That's how the Savior's coming? No problem. What happened in the next generation? We have murder. 
Cain kills Abel. You know, the devil must have thought this was the worst plan ever, the best news for him possible. Because in the very next generation, it looks like we're having serious issues, doesn't it? And yet there was still righteous Seth. I want to talk to you about an arcane principle or a progressive principle. You're going to hold a book in your hand that parts of which date back to well before 1600 B.C. The Bible that you have tells the story in the first 12 chapters of Genesis that covers 2,000 years. And from Genesis 12 to the cross, another 2,000 years. One of the most ancient works on the planet. And you'll have to come to a conclusion Is this book arcane? Is it backwards? Is it from an archaic time? Or is it actually relevant today and progressive? This scripture, 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15, is one of the most attacked on the planet. I want you to hear it. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. How many of you go to a hand-raising church? How many of you would get thrown out of your church if you raised your hand? Don't raise your hands. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety. Can we say amen to that? Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. You know, I don't mind braided hair as long as there are good deeds. I I don't mind gold or pearls as long as that's not what defines you. You have to decide what you think about that. A woman should learn in quietness. And full submission. You know, there are critics that have said that sounds so much like Islam. Of course, that word for quietness there also means truth. And it's translated truth every other place in the Bible. So what could it be? A woman should learn in truth and full submission. To who? To the living God. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over. Somebody say over. A man. There's a reason for this. When the woman exalted her role above her husband, the entire human race fell. So God instituted an order. Women can teach. They should teach. Women can prophesy. They should prophesy. We were blessed by a woman prophesying today. But Paul simply is affirming the order that God said this would happen in. This verse that says she must be silent. The word silent is hesukia. Hesukia could be translated peace. Think of it this way. She must have a quieted spirit. In other words, somebody who is in submission to Yahweh God and not looking to pick a fight with every male that she sees. Is that arcane? Is that backwards? Or is that just common sense and ignorant people have twisted it? For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. We may not like that, but that is what the Scripture says. But women... Or she, this, this, uh, women or she, Eve, will be saved, restored, saved and restored are the same word, through childbearing, if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and propriety. The God of the universe hung the entire redemption of mankind upon the role of a woman. That is honored beyond belief. Hung the entire redemption story on a man who would lead his home and a woman who would follow that man and they would set out to accomplish God's will. Are you beginning to wonder why our nation's going to hell in a handbasket? It's not because of our current president. And I don't like him much either. But it's not his fault. 
any more than it was Jimmy Carter's fault. They're just lost men, and it's obvious. Our nation's going to hell in a handbasket because husbands don't lead their homes, and wives don't follow their husbands, and they claim that their children are being raised in a Christian home, but the only thing Christian about it is the cross that they wear around their necks. Of course, if you get this right, if no matter how flawed the husband is, he's striving to have a home that the presence of God would dwell in. And no matter how flawed that husband is, the wife trusts God enough to follow her husband, even though he's just not all that smart or pretty or whatever it is. An amazing thing happens. God uses the broken. He uses the lowly. And he does more in a home that is trying to get it right than in all those homes that already think they have it right. And you know what? Out of... No account ordinary homes. We're going to see apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists that shake the world. These five children, they're going to shake the world. You say, oh, Eric, that's pie in the sky. You're just throwing that out there as an encouragement. No, I believe it as much as I believed it when I looked at John and Joy and said, you will have a child, and we prayed for six years. I believe it as much as when we looked at Mario and Alicia and said, unplug the baby, she won't die. Let me ask you, what kind of faith are you displaying in your home? Is it bold? Is it out in front of everybody? Or do you have one of those secret faiths? One of those faith that is so secret, nobody knows you have it. So we'll have to pay somebody to lie at your funeral. What kind of faith do you have? Do you have a faith that could convict you of being a Christian? So you don't get, all I got to do is eat my cracker and I'm good. You run with that. Let's see how it works for you. So you don't understand, I was confirmed when I was such and such. If you hadn't been confirmed by the Spirit of God, then you should be scared. Because Jesus Christ came to destroy the devil's work. 1 John 3, 8 says that. Jesus Christ came to destroy the devil's work. So let me ask you, are you destroying the devil's work or are you participating in it? Hmm? Arcane or progressive. Paul understood the pattern. He's teaching that women everywhere are saved in the same hope that Eve was, that seed from her body will crush the enemy. Do you know that John is holding in his hands a powerful tool against the devil? He's holding in his hands a little girl that is capable of being filled with the Spirit of God and speaking the truth of God. A little girl that is capable of putting her hands on the dead and watching them come to life. A little girl that can displace... 6,000-year-old spiritual powers. A little girl that already carries in her body the genetic material for generations to come. Oh, how important are our children? Maybe we would not have the largest abortion clinic in the United States right here in this city if this was taught from pulpits. Even those large pulpits where everybody's a champion. For this to happen, everyone needs to understand and embrace our roles. It takes a mama and a daddy living in a godly way to produce a child that overcomes the enemy. Jesus has already come. Why should we go on bearing children? I mean, the Messiah is already here. All the work's done on the cross. Well, what are you? The church of the living God is the body of Christ. And until the body is complete, then it must be incomplete. Yeah? Do we have the complete church here? No, Eric, the church meets in gatherings all around the globe. Do we have everybody in here that's supposed to be in here? 
Not by a long shot. The body of Christ is incomplete when the people of God don't do what they should do. So the Holy Spirit's been speaking a message to the pastors in this church. It's about them. Please go get them. Not to build a big community center. We're already going to have enough children to build as big as we want. We're building onto our children's church every day. The L7 Ladies Lavender Lactation Luxury Lounge. It's got five families in it right now. But because we care about them and something in the body of Christ is left undone and is incomplete without them. Church, I want to see the work of God done on earth, do you? The reason the thief comes is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus Christ came that we would have life and life to the fullest. The devil has worked to steal the promises of God from us. Have you ever gotten angry? Is there a daddy in here who has a son? Raise your hand, daddy with a son. Now, I know you guys are good daddies, and you, I'm whatever I am. Sometimes when I'm working on the car, I'm not as patient with, with my son as I could be. I, I even, if we're just going to go ahead and treat me like I would treat you if you said that, I sin. See, because if you said I'm not as patient as I should be, i say, oh, you mean you sin? The devil is always working to steal the promise of God. So you're looking at your firstborn thinking, he can't tell a three-quarters from a, a 22. He, he, he's not going to mount to anything. Might even have said it once or twice. You're looking at your little girl and say, what are you doing wearing that? You're dressed like a whore. Then you're surprised when she becomes one. The devil is always working to destroy godly potential. And the way that he does it is in our children. How important is it that we speak the words of God to our kids? Yeah. Well, that's why I bring them to church. Your home is supposed to be a church. You are supposed to be the church. How can you speak the words of God if you don't know them? If right now we give you the opportunity to quote something other than John 3.16, do you have something more than a baseball faith? I mean, do you know John 3.15 or John 3.17? So I didn't know this was going to be a test. Oh, the biggest test we've ever been given is when God entrusts us with five little miracles. How important is it that we know the Word of God? The devil's work to kill our children literally and figuratively because he wants to destroy the body of Christ. Our children have been under attack since before they were born. But you know what? They're still here. Most of all, the devil has worked to destroy our marriage covenants. Have we ever, is there a nation anywhere in the world that has a higher divorce rate than this one? Our pastors have become so scared to preach on this subject because everyone's divorced. You upset everyone. Well, I'd rather God be true and every man a liar. Divorce breaks the heart of God. It damages children and it damages the people in it. I know I've lived through three of them as a child. You know what? There's hope. Not saying there's not hope, but I am saying this simply must never be. The reason the devil is attacking couples is to prevent what the couples are supposed to produce. He attacked Riley's heart because he doesn't want her to live to have a heart on fire for Jesus. He attacked AJ while she was still in the womb because God's knitting her in the womb to fulfill the promises of God. He attacked Levi through an early premature birth because he knows if Levi gets strong, Levi's foot will be upon his neck. He attacked Eliana with a medical condition that has the potential to steal 
our dreams for her because he knows that when she walks in the dreams that are God's dream for her life, the world changes around us. He attacks Sarah to prevent Sarah's conception because once life is there, oh, what God could do with one life surrendered to him. I want to tell you that we win, church. This is a picture of Eliana. They had more electronic equipment around her than a new Cadillac has inside of it. And none of it was keeping her alive. You know what was keeping her alive? The Spirit of God. She had wonderful nurses. She had wonderful medical community around her. Some of them were in love with the Lord and you could see it. They didn't do a thing wrong. They said what they know. And they said what is likely true. Except with our God, there is a whole other kind of truth. That precious child has already encouraged the hearts of the saints, already convicted the hearts of sinners, and given people the courage to pray for the baptism in the Holy Ghost. The day she came home from the hospital and we announced it, people got baptized in the Holy Ghost in the service because they began to believe that God still moved on the earth today. Malachi 2.13 is an important one. One thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because He no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. Boy, today's emergent church says that's not even possible. I guess they're going to have to tear this book out of the Bible then. You ask why? It is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are His. And why? Because He was seeking godly offspring. We don't just get married because we love each other. In fact, had you been married in the Bible, you wouldn't know each other. Someone would have arranged it based on your character. God wanted to produce in every home children that learn to live in the presence of God. Oh, church, protect your marriage. It's the very soil that the heirs of salvation are raised in, the carriers of the promise. They are raised in the environment that you create for them. Jesus said in Mark 10, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. I'm confident in the couples that have had children in this church. They're inseparable, provided they stay inseparable from Jesus. Does it take work to stay in Jesus? And it takes work to stay in a marriage. But you know what's at stake? The salvation of humanity. The salvation of humanity is at stake. The reason we dedicate our children is to have a chance to explain to the parents the high calling of being a parent during a day that it is diminished. When you're more esteemed, not for having six kids but for having a Mercedes. Well, your Mercedes is going to rust, but your six children, they have the potential to kick in the gates of hell. You tell me who we should esteem. The woman who thought so little of the plan of God and so much of her body that she wouldn't dare put herself through having children. 
or the woman that said, may it be unto me as you have said, Lord, that and a whole lot more, whatever it takes, I lay down my life to accomplish your will. Who should we esteem? Psalm 2510 says this, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. How many of you know that God demands certain things of you? He demands it. He doesn't ask it. He doesn't say, if you like it, he demands it. And we will be accountable for the demands of the covenant. And when we can't keep covenants with each other that we can see, don't delude yourself into thinking you've kept a covenant with him who you can't see. Oh, church, it's never too late to turn around, though. You can be unfaithful one day and the next day have hit the brick wall and say, never again. Never, ever again. It can be the moment that everything changes. I went from suicidal and violent to in love with the Lord and advancing His kingdom in less than 24 hours. In a three-month period in my life, I went from becoming the biggest embarrassment in my family to the only hope as far as salvation in my family. Now, since then, a bunch of them have gotten born again, and I'm proud of that. Why did God call you? Why are you here? Why are you alive? Genesis 18 says it this way. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Oh, church, think on this. Abraham, the very friend of God, he was chosen to build a nation, to bless other nations. He instituted a covenant that has shaped the world, but that's not why God chose him. God chose him to direct his family. How are you doing with the calling to direct your family? Say, well, I work hard, good for you. You and every other pagan. Say, well, I don't understand. I bring home a paycheck. These days, 50% of the country lives without a paycheck. They just get it from the government. Maybe they should have married the government. Your responsibility is to direct your household. That's the responsibility. It's the first part of being a man. (laughs) You're in here with bulging biceps. Maybe you got some tats on you. Show the world you got a history. Maybe you like to tell stories about all you've accomplished in your life. You know, what if the most basic part of being a man is that you directed your family after God? How are you doing with that one? How about that kind of macho bravado? I swam in all of those circles. I can see it in some of your eyes. You know what, though? You might be able to punch through a brick wall, and when you are not man enough to deny your own emotions, you're really a coward. Oh, that we would be man enough to do what God requires of us. You know where it begins? Lord, I can't. I can't. I'm a failure. But if you helped me, I could succeed. And then you do the next thing he shows you to do. You know what? When men can do that, their families begin to fall in love with them. They follow them. Wives come back to life. What was cold is now warm and exciting. Children... You think you lose respect in front of your children? They gain respect for you when they see that you need the Lord and that they can have Him too. He was chosen to direct His household. Psalm 78 says it best. This is an anthem in Israel. 
Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parable. I will utter hidden things, things of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. You know, I hate the phrase, my baby's daddy. And if Father's Day is a confusing time in your household, the Bible ordained that there would be fathers who would tell their children. Why don't we start by fathering our own children? We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. You're going down. He commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them. You go further to verse 7 so that they would put their trust in God. You know who your family is supposed to learn about Jesus from? You. How's your children's prayer life? It probably doesn't surpass yours. Do they watch more TV or pray more? Do they hear about the heroes of the Bible from you? Are they satiating that inward desire with an Xbox? Oh, man. Dedicating children is so much more than rubbing some oil on their head. Dedicating children is really preparing the hearts of parents to be parents. There's a holy baton that's handed down from generation to generation that says what I've known and experienced of God, that I want you to have so that you start where I ended and can grow further. Oh, every father, every mother should want their child to go further than them. Proverbs 22, 6, train a child in the way that he should go and when he's old, he will not turn from it. In the church, this has been universally taught as, well, I don't know what happened. He went the wrong way, but I guess he'll come back because Proverbs 22, 6 says it. That is not what it says. If you do your job right, they will grow up in the faith. Pastor Sutherland recently taught on this, and what a great teacher he is. You'll be glad. You'll get him the next few weeks while I'm gone. Services will be shorter. They'll be more anointed, more poignant. He said to properly narrow their point of view. Yeah? I don't want open-minded children. I want children who have a narrow point of view. So how could that be in our politically correct world? Because the truth is narrow. I want children who have been initiated in, are being disciplined in, dedicated to, and trained up in righteousness. How many of you think you could become a professional athlete because one of us prayed for you once and put some oil on your head? Trust me, I've tried. I've bound the fat. I've loosed the protein and the muscle. It hasn't worked. (laughs) Apparently, faith and deeds have a relationship. When we dedicate these children, it is one day where publicly we take a responsibility to do something every day privately. And you know what? You're inviting the community of God to judge your results. What does your child say about you? There are times I'm very proud to be a father and there are other times I want to crawl under a chair. And it's never their fault, it's mine. It's mine. Oh, if you have a buck stops here mentality, you know what that means? It means that it drives you to the need of a perfect Savior for an imperfect man. It's funny, the ladies' eyes in here are wet. You know why that is, man? Something in them cries out 
for a godly husband and they see so little of it, they're scared it doesn't really exist. Now you know what you should be praying for, single man. You don't need to pray for a hot wife. You don't even need to pray for a wife. God will bring her to you. You need to pray that you become the man of God you're supposed to and everything else will take care of itself. God forbid you find a holy, righteous woman before you've become a man of God, you'll be her ruination. We teach our singles in here to hide their life in Christ until somebody finds Christ to find them. In Exodus 12, we find a truth that is as wonderful and as exasperating as anything could be. Look at verse 26. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them. How many of you have experienced that phase of child, uh, that phase with your children where they're like, but why? How? Why, Dad? But why? why? When are we going to get there? How much longer? I prayed that Judah would learn to speak and then spent the next 17 years praying he would shut up. <laughs> and when I thought that was bad, God gave me Gabriel. And I learned that idle words are the words between other words. But my little Abby is nearly perfect. There is a phase in our children's life where they're going to ask us why we do the things that we do. I encourage you not to look at them and say, do what I say and not as I do. Because Jesus Christ said, don't believe me unless I do the work my father does. I'm going to tell you the truth, that other things never worked. Your children will do what you do. So you might as well own that. You might as well live up to it. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your ha- hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. How much do you think the Lord wanted you to talk with your children about Him? Say, well, we bond over baseball. Well, stop it. We bond over football. Well, grow up. Well, we like to talk about other things. If the Lord is not the foundation of your relationship, then you will get what you have put into it. Well, I brought him to church. The serial killer's mom probably brought him to church. And she's the only one that can't see what he is. You know, my parents were teachers. And everybody was convinced that their kid was just in with the wrong crowd. Which was amazing, because in a thousand students, nobody's kid was the wrong crowd. Everybody was just in with the wrong crowd. Because if my kid's the wrong crowd, what does that say about me? might say you need to repent. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the... What's that word? How many of you are training your children? I mean, training them in the instruction of the Lord. Training them. You know, I'm raising my kids to be ministers. You know why? It's what I am. I figured if he wanted them to be something else, he would have put them in someone else's house. I'm training them. What are you training your children to do? Watch TV? What are you training them to do? It's a a fair question. You parents who are dedicating your children, what are you going to train them to do? To love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, strength, they're going to have to see that in you. And if they do, 
then it'll be desirable to them and they'll go after it. Marriage is a foundation for God's plan. All ministry that there is anywhere flows right out of the home. And your ministry as a Christian never outgrows what is in your home, ever. We're not going to read 1 Timothy 3. But if you write it as a note, you're going to find every ministry qualification there ever is. All comes out of a home. That ought to make you wonder about pastors that you admire, that you think are wonderful because of the way they speak. And that's never a requirement in the Scripture anywhere. But what is, is that their households be godly, be in order, that they've won the respect of everyone around them. Do you think maybe we've got our eyes on the wrong things? Ministry flows right out of what you do in the privacy of your home. And when we fail to obey God by training our children and managing our households, the results are painful. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces who? Does that seem unfair? It does. It seems unfair. Except that the primary task that God assigned on a daily basis was that mama would have the most contact with her children and daddy would lead the home. The further we move away from these biblical paradigms, the more our children are acting like animals, dressing like some bizarre alien race and embarrassing us in front of the whole world. Do you like the way things are going in society? Anybody in here convinced that we're more godly today than we were 100 years ago? There's not one hand that goes up. and Well, who's going to do something about that? I say it starts with what we do with our children. You know, Proverbs 24, 30 through 34 teaches one principle. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Poverty comes on you like a bandit. You know, that may be speaking about agriculture, but it's true in every area of your life. All you have to do is look the other way and say, today I won't discipline. I just wanted a nice night out. All you have to do is say, you know, I'm not really sure that that's my business. By the way, in this church, we all discipline each other's children. We do. Otherwise, what you're teaching them is, I only have to hide things from one parent. We want them to be accountable to the community of God, period. Oh, that we could ask God to give us the strength to do exactly what he would do in this situation. Man, is that a cute kid? I want his fedora hat. He looks like there should be something in his hand, but I'm not going to explain that. If you don't know what that is, stop by Pastor Matthew's house after he has visited the Caribbean near Cuba. We're nearing an end here, but I I need you to grapple with this one thing. Gideon, a hero in the Bible, right? Great faith. But he had one son who murdered 69 others. That begs the question, is he a success or not, doesn't it? If you can conquer kingdoms, but you raise 69 murder, murdered children to one murderer, did you do a good job? Well, we'll let the Lord sort that out, but that's not the legacy I want. Eli judged Israel for 40 years, but because he didn't discipline his sons, he became a disgrace. Samuel, an awesome prophet, but his sons Abiah and Joel were perverted and accepted bribes. The mighty prophet Samuel raised two scoundrels for children. David, he had a heart after God. He killed giants. He was a great king. But he had a son who was a rapist. 
He had a son who led an insurrection and slept with his wives. And he had constant familial infighting. So was David a success or not? Apparently, it's possible to succeed outside of your home and fail inside your home. But is that really success? I say if you start inside your home, whatever grows to the outside is success. But if you wage war for God on every front except your own home, then didn't you fail in your primary responsibility? Solomon was wise beyond measure, but have you read what his sons did? When you think of good moms, Mary are to come to mind, even for you Protestants. Perhaps in a backlash against what could only be called Mariology. Maybe you've not viewed her like the Bible does. But imagine, imagine that you were told you would be pregnant and you had to go explain that you were pregnant by the Holy Ghost. You know, Abigail Vincent's in here today and she's probably about the age Mary was, and I just cannot imagine that conversation with Brent. (laughs) I mean, that is incredible. And in verse 38 of Luke, the first chapter, she says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be as... May it be to me as you have said. Can you imagine the high personal cost? And you're willing to endure it because you saw an unbroken line all the way back to Eve that you got to participate in. You mean I get to bear a child that will help bring salvation to the world? And of course, Mary got to bring the child. May it be unto me as you have said. Are the costs of motherhood high, Joy? Joy is a bright little flower, and uh, she keeps fairly odd nocturnal hours. And lately, she hasn't got to sleep at all. And when she does, it's because John helped her. You know, Sam is the strongest 90-pound person I've ever seen. <laughs> but there are days you can just see her worn out. Elisha is the one that we send after the rebellious women. Go see Elisha in the parking lot. She'll fix your problem. (laughs) But it is exhausting certain stages of motherhood. But it is a noble heart that says, may it be unto me as you have said, I don't care what the cost is. I want the righteous outcome. I've seen, it's very few, but I've seen mothers whose children are malnourished in their Texas children's because the mom doesn't care. She'd rather drink and party. I have some experience with the mamas that drink Crown Royal and try to abort their babies. But it is a noble thing when you care more about what God can do through this child than what it means to you. And it's the very heart of the gospel. And the King of Kings ordained that salvation could come no other way. Let me ask you, is the role of women an amazing one in the Bible? How about Manoah? In Judges 13, Manoah, he prays to the Lord about Samson. He says, Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come and teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. How many of you fathers have fallen on your face and asked God, please help me, I don't know what to do. We often say, well, you know, I didn't have a dad. And and we, we keep... Paying it backwards. 
We keep blaming whoever went before us. What if we took responsibility, fell on our faces and said, you are the righteous father. Teach me. Teach me what to do. And then we held ourselves responsible for doing what he told us to do. What if you got a father like Manoah and a mother like Mary? Oh man, the kingdom of God would advance, would it not? Hannah, when she finally gets her child in 1 Samuel 1, 28. So now I give him to Yahweh for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. What if you invested in this child and invested and invested and invested, but had no desire to control the outcome? Oh, man, I know more children whose parents planned their lives for them. And a rift came when they got born again. And God had a different plan than the parents. A different university or no university. And God wouldn't do that. Why would God not do that? Because you presume to know His will without asking? Something magical happens when we say, Lord, your plan for this life exceeds my plans for this life. Oh, that that could be the desire for these children. Look at these babies before we dedicate them. In the top left-hand corner, we have Eliana asleep on her mama. Praise God, that in itself is a miracle, isn't it, Mario? She fell asleep. (laughs) Beneath that, Spencer and Caitlin holding a miracle in their hands. You know, Riley's not supposed to be alive, much less be happy and be pretty and be bouncing around all over the place. She's one of the few I haven't won over yet, but it'll happen. In the top, I told Joy and John, we could only have five pictures. So they gave me a collage in every picture. They gave me five collages. That's Sarah Faith. Sarah Faith is the product of six years of prayer. In the middle here, Anna J.L. We tried to censor it, and uh, I don't know. Needless to say that we allow some things when people are immature and when they grow up, we expect more of you. (laughs) Anna's going to be a prophetess. Little Levi, asleep on his mama. Rick, Susan's got amazing eyes, doesn't she? Yeah, look at him. Yeah, she does. They love each other. And they love Levi. We're expecting godly outcomes. You know why? It's not because I wear a funny hat and have special oil and was paid to pronounce a blessing on them. But I know their parents. And I know what their parents are investing in them. They will be a reflection of their parents. Parents, could y'all come up here? In this room, if you're a grandparent, raise your hand. Oh, man, is it frustrating to see your children do things that you know are mistakes, but your children don't know it yet? But isn't it fun to be able to love on a child, to be able to pray for a child, to be able to play with them, feed them sugar? and then send them home to your children and then laugh at the results? 
These parents have an awesome responsibility. It's not an understatement or an overstatement, rather, to say that salvation depends on what happens with these children. Parents, would y'all like help from the congregation or would y'all prefer to go it alone? If there was something that this whole congregation came to a consensus and said, look, we're concerned about that, would you listen to them? Or would you ignore it? You see why the devil's worked so hard to separate people from church? And there are some churches that you probably shouldn't be a part of, but when you find one where God's presence is, man, it's life. Are our children beautiful? I want to give you guys some vows that you can answer before the congregation. Like Mary and Joseph, will you view parenting as your service to the Lord? Oh, let them hear you out there. Like Manoah, will you ask for and accept instruction from the Lord regarding training your child in righteousness? Uh, Did you all hear that, pastors? That's a license. Like Hannah, will you yield your will for your child's life to God's will, acknowledging and acting as if their whole life belongs to the Lord? Finally, will you train them through your actions and discipleship to love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength? Congregation, will y'all help them do it? Can we have the pastors and elders come forward and dedicate these babies? Then we're going to do pictures with the family. <laughs> there's uh there's five babies up there. Pick one. <laughs> yeah. You go pray. Father, we thank you for these beautiful children. Lord, we take seriously the responsibility that you've given us. Lord, we see that Levi's eyes are full of light. Lord, we say, let us invest your word in him his whole life long. Lord, we pledge to support these parents in this godly endeavor. Lord, to encourage, to correct, to rebuke, to train in righteousness even as they do the same. Lord, we thank you for Anna Jael. Lord God, we say, let a prophetic gift be in her always. Holy, holy one. Lord, we take seriously the responsibility that you've given them. Lord, let us succeed in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for Eliana. Lord God, this miracle life. In the name of Jesus, we say, be healed, be healed, be healed. In the name of Jesus. We say, let this life continue to glorify God. Lord, we want to see her wedding day. Mighty one, we want to see beautiful things in her life. And we're asking the God of all creation to cause this to happen. Thank you for mama and daddy. Lord, strengthen them. Strengthen this family. Lord, we thank you for Sarah Faith. Lord God, that beautiful locks of hair. Lord, we say, would you prepare the ministry that lies before these girls? 
Mighty God, would you train the parents to walk in your ways that they would train their children. Thank you, Lord God, for Miss Riley. Lord, we ask that you would move in her little heart that as she's healed in her heart, Lord, she would be baptized in your spirit. Lord, that right along with English prayer, Lord, that she would pray in other tongues and prophesy and pray for healing and carry your testimony with her all the days of her life. In the name of Jesus, we dedicate these children at LCMF.